Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. You know, we've been in a series entitled Imagine More Faith. We've been praying that the gift of faith would rest upon our church in a fresh way, not in a weird, like, like fake prosperity gospel way, but, but in, a, in a real, genuine way. And, um, and I want to talk to you a little bit today around imagine more faith in the, in the context, imagine more faith in Christ in regards to an aspect of our relationship. So I'm going to be speaking predominantly to married and dating couples today, but the principles apply across the board. So even if you're single, um, it's going to help you. Uh, hey, 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 hey. And then, uh, and then no matter where you're at, whether it's you're a student or relationally and, you know, with your family and friends, it's all the principles apply. So I want you to lean in. But uh, everybody that's joining us for the first time today, I just want to say welcome home. Uh, I, I was specifically praying for you this morning. And I just want you to know that we're so grateful that you're in the house this morning. We don't just say that. We're really grateful. And I've been praying that God would speak to you in a fresh way today. So imagine more faith in Christ in our relationships. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word? Lord, I pray that you would speak so clearly. Lord, I pray that uh, we wouldn't know today whether we got slapped or loved. It would be a beautiful collision, Lord, of of both your grace, but also, Lord, I I pray that there would, some of us need to make some adjustments. And so, Lord, we don't want behavior modification. We want heart transformation that only comes by the power of the gospel. So help us to see you clearly in every way, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we thank our worship team? Love our worship team. Well, I want to I want to take you take you way back. I want to take you back to 1929. Cal was playing Georgia Tech in the Rose Bowl, and one of one of my favorite favorite plays. The ball was fumbled by Georgia Tech. Roy Regals plays for Cal. Grabbed the ball as he normally did with great optimism and anticipation. The only downside is Roy was running in the wrong direction. <laughs> And so, so you see him being tackled, but that's not by the other team. That's by his teammates wondering, Roy, what in the world are you doing? How many of you guys are grateful for those that, that stop us on the one-yard line? I really feel like God wants to stop us, some of us, on the one-yard line today. As we look at Roy's life, though, I mean, this is how he's known. And bless his heart, he, he said in an interview, he said, I was so confused. There were so many voices. Things were happening so fast that I just lost my sense of direction and I started running the wrong way. There's nothing worse than anticipating greatness and blessing only to be disappointed. Like, that, that's the worst. Uh, if any, any uh, movie buffs, I think there's a, a new Lord of the Rings that, have, that has come out. I'm, I've never been into this, but I see it all over social media. And I just started to think, isn't it the worst thing when somebody says that there's a great movie and you pay $50 to go and see it now, right? That $50 is like your ticket, a bottle of water, and a popcorn. It's like 50 bucks. And then you're watching the movie and you're thinking, I'm hoping this is going to get better. And then it doesn't get better. It's the worst. Some of us, we know how we like our steak. At home, if it's not cooked right, we don't say anything. 
But we're at a restaurant. You're like, yeah, it's nothing worse. You, you, your, salv- your saliva glands are going, and you're excited, and they put that steak on in front of you, and it's not cooked the way you anticipated. Like some of you guys like it well done. Some of you guys like it still mooing. Some of you guys like it medium. Some of you guys are vegans. You're like, I'm so offended you put this in, in front of me. But there, there's, there's nothing worse than having that anticipation and then realizing that it's not it. Trader Joe's used to have these wasabi-flavored almonds. These were my favorite. They would give me that wasabi fix without having to, you know, spend a boatload of money on sushi. And I'd, I would get these every single week. I love these. Love the burn. Love the wasabi. I'm the guy that puts wasabi on his sushi. Like, I spread it on there. I, I love, 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 love wasabi. And so I remember one day we picked it up. I'm the guy that we, we get our groceries. We get in the car. I'm like, man, throw those on top. And uh, well, actually, I threw it on top because I bagged my own groceries when we were at Trader Joe's. And, uh, and I remember getting in the car, and I opened up these, these, these almonds, and I tasted it, and I looked at Jack. I said, something's wrong. Like, something is dramatically wrong. These things don't, don't taste the same. And so come to find out, they changed the recipe. And I'm like, why in the world, when you have a good product, do you change the recipe? Like, like some of you had those protein bars that used to be good. And then they, they switch to like that, that cocoa chocolate. It doesn't taste the same as like the good chocolate or whatever is mixed on the inside. And you just taste it. You're like, something has changed. I know you're trying to save money, so I'm not mad at that. But why would you mess up something good? Why would you change the recipe when you have something that's great? And so I think like football and almonds, movies, like, like we can talk about that and have fun with that all day. But, but the reality is, is there's nothing worse than thinking you're winning when you're really losing. Again, football is one thing. Almonds are one thing, a movie. But relationally, it's, it could be devastating. A, a lot of the, the issues in our life, when we look back, stem from a relational component. There's nothing worse than hoping to win in your marriage, hoping to win in your friendships, hoping to win in your church community, hoping to win in your family, hoping to win only to be disappointed because things aren't turning out the way that you thought. And many times it's because of one of two things. Either both of us or one of us is running in the wrong direction. Like something is wrong when relationships that have so much possibility end up in being extremely toxic, dysfunctional, and result in disappointment. You guys have heard these statistics before. You guys have heard me share them, but the average marriage lasts about eight years. The average uh, friendship lasts about seven years. And the average relationship that a person has with the church is about seven years. That's not very, it's not a very long time. I, I think even now those statistics have probably dwindled a little bit more. Um, and so it's a little bit confusing, a little bit perplexing, but all of us go into relationships with the hope to win. Like no, nobody's, nobody enters into a friendship, a relationship, or a marriage like, man, I can't wait to lose. Like, like you're saying I do on your wedding day, like I hope this goes tragically wrong. Now, even though statistically it's not probable that you're going to win. Even in the church, 50% of marriages end in divorce, just like the world. And so some of the odds are stacked against us a little bit. But however, there's still that sense of possibility on the inside of us. We believe that it's going to be different. This one's going to be different. But then we find quickly over a period of time that, oh, I'm, I'm not sure if this is working. 
do you have a sense of possibility on the inside of you? That as you enter into a relationship, there is this sense of, I hope, I hope I'm going to win. I hope we win. Are you guys tracking with me? And so it's nothing worse than to think you're winning when you're really losing. Now, statistics, it's not probable relationally, but that's not because God has designed relationships to be dysfunctional. In fact, God's design for relationships is God has designed relationships to be great. God has designed them to be life-giving. God has designed them to be a blessing. God didn't create Eve with Adam and be like, man, I've created her to be a burden to you. That, that wasn't the case at all. It was like, no, I've created her to be a blessing so you guys can be a blessing to one another. The, the, problem, with, the problem is in our day is that the world has changed the recipe. The world has changed the recipe on relationships. And when the world, when we opt into that recipe, all of a sudden our relationships get a, get a shelf life. They start to lose momentum. Can I just tell you, Trader Joe's does not sell those almonds anymore. Why? Because nobody liked them. I don't crave those things anymore. They, they put a bad taste in my mouth. And, and I want us to lean in because 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. This is the message version. Love of the world squeezes out. Everybody say squeezes out. Squeeze love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all of its wanting, wanting, wanting is on its way out, but whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. So let me just say it like this. God has a recipe for our relationship that fills our relationship, while the world has a recipe that fades our relationships. And, and I think one of the great disillusions, one of the great dysfunctions and distortions of why they fade so quickly today is because we have an improper definition of love. Because the world has a way of love and God has a way of love. The world says it's all about falling in love. But, but the premise is me first. I have to be careful who I send people to counseling to because sometimes, like, if you're not happy, just leave. Well, well time, time out. It's, it's, it's a me first culture. I feel me. I'm, I'm falling in love because I'm in my feelings. And you make me feel good. And so the definition, when you look up the definition of love, you just Google like definition of love. Webster's going to come up a few. These, these are the top three. This is the definition. An intense feeling of deep affection, a great interest in pleasure, a great interest in pleasure in something, an attraction based on sexual desire, a strong affection felt by people that have a romantic relationship. Now, nothing is wrong with these things, but, but when you start to define love like this, no wonder our relationships are in trouble and not lasting. N nothing is wrong with these things. Like, like these things are great, but they're all subject to change. Wow. And so like, let me, let me give you a picture. Jackie and I have been married for 17 years, been together for over 20. As I, yeah, as I'm laying down on the couch though, hey, don't, don't cheer too fast. Because as I'm laying on the couch, Knocked out, mouth open, you know, looking all tore up. I don't think I look very attractive in those moments. I think she, she'll have to remind herself, like, Lord, I love this man. I am choosing at this moment to love this man. If I leave my clothes out, I am choosing, Lord, to love this man. 
All these things are subject to change. Attraction is subject to change. Feelings go up and down, and we know this, whether it's with family, friends. We know the dynamic of, I don't really feel like dealing with you right now. Or I really feel like dealing with you right now. Or the feeling is there's just such a, a disconnect. And so, so we, we feel these things. Desires can change. And I, I think, to, to be fair, I, I think in regards to this definition, they would say things like, oh, no, well, it's, it's about you know, their mind and their financial status. They have a good personality. And he's so funny. And all that stuff is great. But, but I don't think it's a great definition of love because there, there's a difference between a definition and a byproduct. Like, I think a lot of those things can start as a catalyst toward love. There's some things that you maybe find attractive in a person, like godliness. I remember uh, when I first saw Jackie, we were in church. It's a good place to meet somebody, but not a guarantee. Just letting you know. Some of the people everybody looks say, but they're not. But I, I, remember, I remember looking over like it was during worship time, and, and I should be worshiping, but it was kind of one of those things. Like, And I'm just watching her cry out to God. I'm like, Lord, Lord, please, God, let her see me. Um, so I, I think all these things can be catalysts, but I think better yet, they're, they're byproducts. I, I think when we're really understanding what love really is, I think there, there comes a greater attraction. There comes a greater affection. There comes a greater. But when you use those as the anchor or the source, we find ourselves very disappointed. So, so I, think, I think there are some byproducts, maybe even some catalysts, but you, but you can't encompass love as a definition in these things. The world love is driven from a place of hunger, and God's love is driven from a place of fullness. And if you miss this... It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to dramatically change your approach. The world says, me first. I love you. Why? Because you make me feel good. You, you fill my tank. Do you know we have these things called the five love languages? And so many people, even people that, that aren't followers of Jesus, like aren't in the church or whatever, they, people know this. Like this book is very popular. But I started noticing even the five love languages, like we know our top two and we know the other pe- person's top two. And the five love languages, if you don't know, it's like quality time, it's uh, physical touch, it's words of affirmation, it's gifts, and there's one more I'm missing, uh, acts of service. And, and, so, uh, and so, so with those things, there's normally a top two, and it's, it's kind of this is how you receive love. But, but sitting down with couples, I realized that even though we may know the other person's language, we're still focused on our two. We're still fighting for our two. And so, so the tension doesn't change. We're just a little bit more educated with what I need and what I want. Are, are you tracking with me? If, if we miss this. So, so the world says, yes, you make me feel important. I have to have you. Like, you complete me. You're kind of cute. And then you get involved in the relationship, and then you find yourself. Rarely do we get into a relationship hoping that it fails, but also rarely do we get into a relationship thinking, how can I serve? How can I be a gift to you? That is just not the default. We're thinking, are you good for me? Do you have the, are you measuring up for me? Do you have, and all that stuff is important. I'm not saying it's not important. But a lot of times we don't approach a relationship in that way, thinking about the other person. So we get into the relationship and then it's all about squeezing each other. 
to see what we can get. And the love of the world, it squeezes out the love of the Father, love for the Father and love of the Father. And then we find ourselves living in this tension, and then we're just squeezing each other. You know how it feels to be squeezed? And just squeezing, you're hoping to find, give me some more comfort, give me some more affection, give me some more security, give me some more support, give me some more acceptance. I need some more approval. Give me your attention. And you're both squeezing for it. And it's exhausting. I'm telling you, the world is driven from a, the world's love is driven from a place of hunger. I need to squeeze you because I'm hungry. And then when there's nothing left to squeeze, you're like, I don't really think you're pretty anymore. You're not that funny anymore. You're annoying. And, and, then, and, then, we can, and then we conclude you must be the wrong one. So this, this, is, this is what the world says. The world says that it's about falling in love, and God says, no, it's about walking in love. And, and there, there is a big difference. There's a big difference. God's love says others first. Like, God's love flows from a place of fullness. You love from a place of overflow. And it's not marked simply by affection, attention, desire. It's marked by intentionality. It's marked by decision. It's marked by choice. It's marked by service. And it, it's, it's marked by loving that person that transcends sometimes how you feel about them or transcends how sometimes they may get on your nerves or how attractive they can be. And, and again, it doesn't mean that those things are absent. I would, I would propose that when we love God's way, those things come into greater light the attraction, the desire. We start to appreciate one another for how we were designed, how God made us to be, not to be the source of life, but to be a blessing in our life. And it dramatically changes the game. And so, so let me say this. If, if you're having, if you're like just not attracted like you were and you just don't really have the desire, I would say maybe the foundation is wrong. And maybe God can resurrect some of those desires if we, we switch gears just a little bit. And so, so what am I saying? I'm saying it's, it's cool to fall in love. I'm not even against that terminology. Like I fell in love. I'm not going to stop. So let me correct you. God says to walk in love. Don't fall. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not that guy. But if, you're fall, if you fall in love, eventually you're going to have to learn how to walk in love. Because the, the problem, listen, we don't have a problem falling in love. We have a problem from keeping things f- from falling apart. That's the great difficulty. Uh, and the great theologian, Alicia Keys, she says, I keep on falling in, right, and out of love. I keep on falling in and out of love with you. Sometimes I feel good. Sometimes I feel used. Loving you makes me so confused. What is she saying? She's saying all these things are subject to change. This is a world's definition of love. So anybody can fall in love. It's hard to walk in love. You know, fall in love, you, you do great with long walks on the ocean. You do great in, in, in moments. You know, you can ask them, hey, do you like Mexican food? You like Mexican food? Oh, Lord. There's a fish on the back of her bumper. Some of you old school folks know what that is. If you're new, you don't even know what that is. You're like a fish. What does that even mean? Go Google it. Fish on the back of a car. It's a sign, God. It's a sign. 
falling is easy. Walking is a little bit different because God's definition of love, it's, it's a little bit different. First Corinthians 13, four and eight. God says, love is patient. Love is kind. Let's stop right there. We're going to go through this, this, this whole little piece. I'm just going to read through it. But this is what I want you to know, that everything that God says in love is equivalent to everything we are prone to struggle with. Like just, just starting off, love is patient. Some of you guys are already done. You're like, I lost. Praise God for the cross because I need a lot of grace. But why does God tell us that is because we can be annoying with each other. We can get on each other's nerves. God says, I want you to be kind. Why? Because we can be mean and dysfunctional. Some of us, we came into the relationship with a carry-on bag. Some of us have an arsenal of luggage, right? We're like, oh, Lord. And it gets opened up at the like, most spontaneous times. And so, so, so I, I want us to, to get this picture. God's love doesn't work. You're going to see with a me-first approach. He says very clearly, he says, man, I don't want you to envy. It it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. I mean, it's, God wants to make it so clear. He puts it in the definition. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with truth. It protects. It trusts. It hopes. It perseveres. Love never fails. Listen, love never fails. We just fail to love. That, that, is, that, is, that is difficult because all of us have been kind of indoctrinated at some level with a, a, a skewed definition of this. And, and I want you to really look at the depth. Look how much deeper instantly this hits all of us in the heart somewhere. And notice how it starts with us, but in, in a different way. It, like real love forces you to think outside of you. Like we look at patience and we're not thinking like, I mean, instantly we're like, man, am I patient? So it causes us to kind of inspect, but it has such an outward focus and trajectory. And so the, 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 the determination on how we're going to really live in a relationship, is, it's going to come down to, man, are we living from a place of fullness or are we living from a place of emptiness? It's going to, it changes the approach. And I don't care if you've been in church for a long time. You can be lost inside the house just as much as you are outside the house. The older brother and the prodigal sons, we always focus on the son that was outside. But there's a second son who was inside the father's house, wanted only what the father had to offer, but heart was just as far away, just as disconnected from the father as the one living outside. He just was polished and it looked a lot more spiritual. And so, so I, I want you to look at, at an orange tree. I, I think it's going to help us uh, understand this a little bit more. It's beautiful. I love oranges. We have an orange tree in our backyard. I was thanking God the other day. Like, I have a backyard in the Bay Area. Thank you. Thank you, God. And I even have an orange tree back there. Save on some money because groceries are expensive. Um, but, but your appetite is going to determine your approach to this tree. If you're full, if you just ate breakfast, maybe had some orange juice, you're going to walk outside of my backyard and be like, man, what a beautiful tree. This is awesome. You're going to be able to appreciate the tree for what it is. You may even be like, hey, Pastor Matt, you need some help with your yard? Sure. Take off some dead branches, prune it up a little bit, clean out the cobwebs, maybe take some dead leaves out, maybe some of the leaves that fell around it. It's kind of taken away from its beauty a little bit. We're going to just clean it up. But, but, it, it, but we're just going to be grateful 
for the tree in and of itself. You may even take a little piece and taste it. You're like, wow, this is so good. But if you're starving, you're going to see that tree in a whole different light. If you're starving, you're going to be like, oh, I, I love this tree. Pastor Matt, do you mind? I'm going to I'm going to ravage this thing. I'm going to squeeze every ounce out. You know, when, when, when you're full, you're less nitpicky. Then when you're empty, you're like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't. But when you're starving, none of it matters. You're just like, man, just give it to me. You're breaking branches. You're squeezing. You're shaking. You're doing whatever you can to try to get full. My wife told me yesterday, Jackie told me, so funny because I, I was painting our back deck. It, it needed some, some paint on it. And, you know, you're out in the sun. It was super hot. And then I, I like to snack. And so, so she told me, I came in, she's like, can I just make you lunch? Because you're going to devour all of our snacks. I'm like, man, I'm just eating some grapes and some cherries and some Takis, right? I just, it's kind of going through. We get the Trader Joe's Takis because they're a little bit cheaper, a little more affordable, and uh, they're still just as bad for you. But I, I mean, it's, it's besides the point. But, but she, she was like, stop, like you're, you're, you're getting full on the wrong things. Like, let me just, let me just give you a, a meal so that you don't devour all of our snacks. See, because when you're, when you're hungry, when you're starving, when you're empty, you start to treat people like a commodity. What can I get from you? When you're full, you start to think, what can I do for you? Like, like I don't need you to fulfill something that you were never meant to fulfill. Sometimes we put such a weight on relationships, we expect people to feel, fill what only God can, and so we squeeze the life out of each other, and we end up both still empty because we can never fill each other the way that God is supposed to. Your spouse, that dating, that, that person that you're interested in will never be a good God. And if you are approaching the situation from an emptiness, even if you're in a marriage right now and you're approaching it from a place of emptiness, can I just tell you, they will not be able to do and give you all that you need. You, you, you have to live from a place of fullness. And so, so what breaks my heart, what breaks my heart is that there are so many people that will never experience the beauty of how God has designed things. It, it breaks my heart. Because behind all those negative statistics, there's a door. There's a door of life. There's a door of truth. There's a door of blessing. But a lot of times we're, we're trying to open it with the wrong key. We keep trying to open it with the key of self. And God's like, no, it's the key of serve. But, but even though we may know that, it's hard to get there. Right? Even some of you right now, you're like, well, all right, Pastor Man, like, I get it. You're just telling me to love better. Like, how, how do you want me to be more patient? You don't, even, you don't know my husband. You don't know my family. Like, you just don't understand. Like, I get it. Like, I want that, but you just don't get it. And I'm so grateful. You're probably right. I probably don't get it. But Jesus does. And he speaks directly into to the middle of that tension. Because all of us have that tension at some level. And he wants our relationships to be able to go the distance. And, and it's so amazing because the, the answer is, the key is, is so simple. A lot of times we pass right over it, yet it's so powerful that when we see love in operation, we're, we just sit back like, I want that. It's attractive. It's powerful. But, but some of you guys are even thinking like, I don't even know if it's possible still. And I just want to tell you, it, with God, all things are possible. It is accessible. 
and it is available, and it's found in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said, so now I'm giving a new commandment, love each other. You're like, just, just what I came to hear today, Pastor Matt, God is commanding me to love people. It's awesome. And normally this, this is where, this is what we do. Like, all right, I hear you. I'm going to go home and try to be patient. I'm going to go home and try not to be envious. Keep no records of wrongs. Some of you guys are so polished. Like, you look patient, but you're keeping deep records. You're like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know. You know. And you wait for that moment. You're like, Pfft. I'm like, dude, keep no records. So we go home, and that's what we do. We try. I'm going to try really, really hard. And then, then you get a couple weeks down the road, you're like, he's still crazy. I still can't stand her. My family is still, like, losing their mind. I just, and then you're just tired. You know, most couples that I talk to, they don't hate each other. They're just tired. Like, they want it to work. They're just tired. Because you, you can't just simply command love. You're like, well, it says it right there. Well, yeah, but it's not the full passage. That's why it's so important, like, you read your Bible. Some of you guys already knew, but some of you guys are like, man, that's just harsh love. All right, so that's the secret. That's the key. No, this is the key. Just as I have loved you. That's the difference between behavior modification and gospel transformation. This is the key. As Jesus said, the way that I have loved you, you should love one another. John chapter 15 verse 13 says, there's no greater love than this than one would lay his life down for his friend. So how do you command love? You're right. You can't. Love is a response to loveliness. And when you see the beauty and the loveliness and the, the vastness of how God has deeply loved you, he says, in that same way, love one another. Just as. See, some of us are stuck because we didn't have a model of this. Like, we, we didn't grow up with this type of a model. And some of you guys grew up with parents, and they, they stuck together, but that's all they did. They stuck it out. No life, no joy. Some of you guys, that, that you guys even thought on the journey, I don't even know if I want that. Some of us just had no example, period. And then you hear Jesus say, love people around you. Listen to them. Show concern for them. Meet their needs. Create some space for them. Walk in love. And you're like, I don't, I'm not even sure how to do that. Like, I know it's right, especially if you've been in church. Hear me. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know this inside and out. But it, does this reality reflect in the relationships around you? Would they look at you and say, yes, definitely feel like you love me the way God loves you. Man, the sacrifice, how you live, how you breathe, how you, like, absolutely. So we have to be careful that this just doesn't become familiar without, like, and conceptual without being a reality inside of our lives manifesting in our relationships. Because the reality is this, if, if we're living on empty, when we're empty, we're going to want something from people. We're not going to want something for them. And so what do we do? We just have to get around people we can squeeze. If you don't have any value to offer me, if I can't squeeze anything out of you, I need to find somebody else to squeeze. 
And the people that have nothing to offer me, they get on my nerves. I can't stand them. They can't add any value. And so what? So it's really hard to put yourself in other shoes when you're empty. Why? Because you're starving just like them. Rather than, rather than being able to look at them and say, wow, you are exactly who I am. If it wasn't for God apart from Christ. Empty and resourceless. When you understand what God has done for you, you will be able to step into other shoes in a way that will change everything. I remember being at a conference a couple years ago and um, at a pastor's conference, and you know who's working the room. You just know. People trying to you know, advance themselves, rub shoulders with high-level pastors, whatever that means. So I remember Jack and I were talking to this couple, and they just were kind of just like, like, and in my mind, I'm like, you're starving. We, we, we probably don't have what you want. And so we just respect, like, hey, man, all right, great to see you. So good, nice to meet you. Until they saw the table that we were at. And then after dinner, it was like, hey, hey, um, we'd love to connect with you. We're like, no, no, you just, you just want my friends. You're just hungry. And my heart breaks. Because I'm like, you're, people aren't going to want to be around you because it's all about you. You're not thinking, how can I add value? How can I build? How can I, what can I offer? How can I serve? How can I, you just want, you just, you're just squeezing people. And you're looking at me in the beginning like, you don't have no juice. <laughs> people just don't, they don't, they don't, they don't like that. Let me, let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, before we can make a mark of love, we have to be marked by love. And this is why it's, this is why it's so hard for us. Listen. Listen, many of us, we have lost sight of this. Some of you have no context. Some of you have been walking with the Lord, but you're in a deficit. You've stopped looking at the fullness of God, fullness of his love. You stopped basking there and you're squeezing people again. And you're hoping to find that satisfaction and you're living in a place of disappointment. And you're like, man, what is going on? Remember what, what the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 3 Verses 16 and following, he says that I pray, Paul prayed, I pray that the spirit of God would empower you so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith so that you would be rooted in the love of God, that you would understand the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, and that you would experience the fullness of God, the fullness it's found when we're rooted in his love for us. And even though Paul's like, you're never going to really be able to fully comprehend, but I pray that you comprehend it. It's hard to explain. It's so vast. It's so wide. It's so big. But it's so tangible. It's so personal. It's so real. Some of you have yet to encounter that. You're, you, you don't know what it's like to live in a place of fullness You've lived your entire life from a place of, of emptiness. You, you can't really leave a mark of love because you've never been marked by love. And when you're operating in a place of fullness, it'll change the reality of everything. It will change the way you date. Can I just tell you the way that you approach your next relationship? If you are empty, my dear friend and my dear brother, my dear sister who are single, if you approach that empty you're going to see the tree totally different. It's probably not going to go well. The world says, 
me first. God says, others first. But God also says you first have to receive first. For we love God because he first loved us. So I want to take the last four minutes that I have. I just want to let God speak for himself. His love is exhausting, but some of you guys need to just sit and bask in the beautiful reality of this is that God prioritizes you. You need to sit in this reality. We all know how it feels to be prioritized, don't we? Some of us have no concept of that. Well, let me tell you what, what it is like when you're prioritized, you feel cared for. You feel valued. You feel seen. And I, I love this beautiful picture. This is how we know that he, what love is. How do we know what love is? Well, if you're feeling or affectionate or there's sexual desire. No, no, no. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and our sisters. John is just echoing what Jesus said. Like, it's true. This is so powerful. What the Lord is saying is to the degree that you understand my love for you will determine your capacity of love for others. If you see or have received my love in a small portion, you're only going to be able to love small. But if you see that I've laid down my life, you stepped out of heaven, made you a priority, even when you didn't deserve it. His death, his burial, can I just tell you, it wasn't attractive. It didn't feel good. There was nothing sexual about it. It was intentional. It was a choice. It was a commitment. It was a promise. It was a covenant that you matter and are a priority to me. Even while you're lost in your sin, he prioritizes you and me. He also pursues you. I think sometimes it's easier for ladies to get this than men. I think sometimes men were like, pursues me. Well, I don't need to be like pursued. I was. <laughs> if that's your perception, then you don't know what it's like to be pursued by God. Because that pursuit will bring you to your knees in joy and humility. Transformation. I remember I, I, this, is this one is special to me because I ran for a long time and I knew. So my mom brought me up going to church. I, I, I knew. Again, you can run in the church and you can run out of the church. You run in the street and you can run in the church. I just remember one time I, we were in a car, like somebody did something bad to one of my friends. And back in the day, it was, uh, you know, the response was a little bit different than I would respond today. So we all jumped in cars and like six, seven cars. People have guns. We're looking for people. And underneath my, I'm sitting in the back of a 72 Cutlass on the left side in Hayward, California. And I'm crying out to God like, please don't let us find them. Please don't let us find them. Because I just knew. I just remember the voice of the Spirit in that moment saying, Matt, this is all about to come to an end. And it did. People started dying. Houses started getting raided. And I thought I was going to go to jail for a long time. And God spared me. And a couple weeks later, I was in St. Louis 
at the altar giving my life to Jesus. He was pursuing me. And I didn't even know it. Uh, he says this, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and, and they with me. He says, I'm married to the backslider in Jeremiah chapter three. He says, I'm gonna take you in and bring you to Zion. I'm gonna give you shepherds according to my heart where you've been burned. I'm gonna feed you in a new way. I'm gonna give you knowledge and understanding, but you gotta take heed to his voice. God is pursuing you. This last uh, couple of weeks ago, I, I got that nail stuck in my, my car. True story. I, I, had a, a, I had two nails in my tire. Fix the flat, took care of one. So I was just like, I'm not trying to get this. I'm not trying to get it, my tire fixed because I don't have time for that. So I filled it with fix the flat. Normally I would just go change it. There's a nail stuck in my tire, but I didn't. So I got a second one and this one was like stuck in and then bent over. It was so bad. I pulled up to big old tires like. <laughs> I told the guy in there, I'm like, man, it's going quick. You might want it. He's like, oh no, we got it. We got it. But, but it happened, it was so drastic, I needed to fix it right away. And you guys heard me talk a little about this a little bit before, um, a couple weeks back, but I just wanted to, to bring, like, the, bring it in a little bit deeper. So I, I, I walk into Big O Tires, and I'm, I'm there, and the, the girl at the desk, she's like, man, I, I know you. I said, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. She's like, that's it. She's like, I watch you online. And then she just broke. And then her coworker's like, what is going on? And I so said, we're talking, and I said, you know God is pursuing you, right? I said, and girl, I can't pay this much money just to remind you every week that God is pursuing you. So you need to get it together, come to church, tune in online or something. I don't have money for that, but She's worth it. God says, I'm, I'm going after her. You are God's prized possession. Some of you guys don't know what it feels like to be prized. Like, what is it like to be a possession? And there's security and there's confidence. Some of your parents never treated or valued you in such a way like you were their prize. Remember a, a young boy had a sailboat and he, he built it and he constructed it and he let it go down the river and, and he tried to chase it, but it was going too fast. And finally he realized he's never going to be able to catch it. He lost it. And then he's walking downtown one day and he sees it in the window of a storefront. And he runs into the guy and he said, hey, that's my boat. I, my initials are on the bottom. And the guy's like, really? Oh, man, I'm so glad. Here you go. 50 cents. And so he's a little kid. This is back in the day. So he goes, mows lawns, like does all this to try to get 50 cents. He comes back, finally puts it on the counter, says, give me my boat. And he looks at his boat. He said, I created you. But now I bought you back. You were my prize possession. My two biggest struggles in my life are rejection and the fear of failure. All my issues stem from there. All of them. And in those moments where I'm just not sure, I come back to this beautiful reality that I am a chosen people. I am a royal priesthood. I am a, I, God has chosen me as a holy nation, as his special possession so that we can declare his praise. Are, are, are you getting the picture? God will also correct you. He'll stop you on that one yard line and you're running in the wrong direction. 
but, but he does it to those that he loves and in whom he delights. And then lastly is, will you stand to your feet actually? Stand up. Lastly is this, is that God restores you. Some of you are thinking, I've made a mess of things, Pastor Matt. It's, it's, it's rough. I don't know. Can I say God is the God of restoration? If you're on the one yard line right now, you've been running the wrong direction. Maybe you already crossed that limit. Maybe the game is lost and you're just like, man, somebody came up to me and was like, I wish I had this message three years ago. I wish I had this message three years ago. But I said, man, today is the day of restoration. God is a God that restores. Praise the Lord, O my soul. My inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not his benefits, who forgives all of our sin, heals all of our disease, redeems our life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Can I just tell you, don't leave today to try to go love one another. You, don't, you may not need to do that. You need to today receive his love so that you're no longer operating from a place of emptiness. If you're empty, you can try all you want and all of your trying, you're still gonna be squeezing. And you need to go and you need to look back at the gospels again this week and just look how he dealt with the leper, the grace, grace toward the blind and the woman caught in the act of adultery. You need to look at the cross and look at the cross and look at the cross and look at the cross until it penetrates the very depths of your soul. God says, don't you see, I'm pursuing you. You're a priority. You're my prized possession. I know we may have to make some corrections, but I want to restore everything that the enemy has stolen. So I leave you with this, is that until you receive God's love first, you will struggle to put yourself last. Father, I pray that you'd seal this in our hearts today. Lord, that we would receive your love. I know for some it's just hard. I pray you'd open up their eyes. Let the scales fall, let the hardness diminish. Let all the pain be melted away in your presence, God. And may the truth of your word pierce our hearts today that we are never the same. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.